And welcome to the UVM podcast, part two of our interview with Madeline from Australia. Nick, uh, Madeline, welcome back. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Steve. Good to see you again. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, for our listeners, uh, this is obviously an extension to our first episode. So welcome back all. And Nick, I believe you were next with some questions. Yeah, so if you recall from the end of the last episode, we sort of finished on the sort of relationship and how that's evolved between the regulator and the utilities. So my next question, Madeline, is, you know, what role does uh, community engagement and public awareness play in reducing the risk of power line related wildfires? How does the government encourage and educate the public about the importance of vegetation management? Yeah, it's huge. So I think one of the interesting things for me and working in this program has been seeing just how informed our community stakeholders are. When we receive letters from the community, they're often very detailed and informed. So we're not just like, oh, there's some weird line. Often they'll be like, my swear line needs to be removed. You're like, oh, okay. So we found that our community is very informed and and interested in the work that we're doing, the Powerline Bushfire Safety Program. But we work really closely with other government departments, with emergency services, obviously the major electricity companies. We share a lot of information about what we're doing So we have quite a few reports on our website that are publicly available about how we've invested and how that $750 million has been used to reduce risk. From our perspective, um, it's about ensuring that the public know that, you know, since Black Saturday, we have done a lot of work to reduce power line risk, either through programs like our power line replacement fund, which um, we invest about $200 million in removing power lines in very high-risk areas, uh, the REFCO rollout, like what's this big box that suddenly appeared in our zone substation? What does that do? So for us, it's an acknowledgement that we are using technology that people don't interact with in their day-to-day lives, and so they're either interested or, or want and should know what we're doing. So our aim is to inform public and communities and stakeholders about the packet of initiatives that PBSP's delivered and, and how that has reduced risk. And at the feedback that we've got consistently from the community is that they want to be informed and they want to know. I think, like I said in in the last episode, for a lot of people following Black Saturday, I think it really changed the way they view power lines. They went from being this almost visibly invisible infrastructure to, oh, this is actually quite dangerous. And so we've received photos from people where they're like, I've just noticed that this power line sags across my field is this something to do with you? Like, oh, yes, thank you. Okay, yes, uh, and we'll find your electricity company and we'll get that sorted. And But, yeah, so definitely um, find that the community is interested and wants to know what we're doing. Well, you brought up some notable challenges and obstacles uh, that's faced by you and your organisation. Uh, let's talk specifically about utility vegetation management now. What type of obstacles and challenges are you running into regarding that activity? So I think like what we discussed previously, we do have a lot of secondary regulation and policy in Victoria that impacts our vegetation management from a power line sense. In terms of the power line bushfire safety program, we've really just focused on the power lines themselves and Energy Safe Victoria has taken on a lot of that work around widening clearance lines and amending those regulations we have had some interesting discussions, I think, like I said in the last episode, with our counterparts in, in Canada and California around just 
can you just clear that line? Like we trust our utilities to just go and do that properly. And for us, that would be great, but we just have to be so conscious of of trees and and not even trees, but other vegetation that could be affected by those works and, and making sure that um, we're sympathetic to that. So, you know, for us in Victoria, we have very tight legislation around flora and fauna and protecting those. We actually, I have a funny, if you'll indulge me, I do have a little funny story about um, our very last automatic circuit recloser installation. And we kept getting feedback from this major electricity company. Oh, we've been delayed. We've been delayed. We've been delayed. And it got to the point where we were like, guys, how hard can it be? What is going on? And what had happened is um, our department had identified this tiny little flower called a button winklewort, which is very cute. (laughs) And it only grew in this area around this power line where this ACR was to be installed. And so the crew had come to install it to find everything had been barricaded. It was like a war zone, like it was just barricades. And they're like, we can't even get to the power line. And so we then had to dig through our own department to say, like, what is this flower? And so, yeah, found out that it only grew in this one area. And so then it was up to us. And it comes back to that collaboration to then go and find the right person in the department to say, understand, this flower is very precious. However, if a fire starts from this power line, that flower will be wiped out. So can you please just let this crew come in and put this ACR in? So, yeah, so for us, it's vegetation in terms of, branches falling on the line but then it's also tiny little flowers that grow around the power line that need to be protected like it's just yeah it really is from all angles and it, and it makes it quite an interesting challenge not to pass along any secrets nick uh, correct me if i'm wrong but wasn't button winklewort your nickname in school oh you're thinking of my uncle actually yeah oh uncle button winklewort <laughs> yeah. yeah excellent and it was auntie mildred and an uncle winklewort <laughs> <laughs> Get us out of this, Nick. Listen, <laughs> Winklewort, that's a, a new uh, species for me. It's very beautiful. It's a beautiful flower. There's no denying that it's, yeah. Okay, I'm going to do a Google image search now. I'm a little bit worried about what might pop up. But, uh, let's try it. Let's just take a minute to hear a quick word from our sponsors of this episode. This episode is sponsored by Live EO. Live EO offers the market-leading satellite-based vegetation management solution which helps vegetation managers to improve network reliability and safety. The software automatically generates grid-wide vegetation overviews from up-to-date satellite imagery and provides insights about tree location, height, species, and vitality. The system calculates the vegetation risk for each span and helps in budgeting and prioritizing cutback activities. Visit live-eo.com slash UVM to find out more and to schedule a free demo. Or simply send a message to info at live-eo.com. And welcome back. So in terms of uh, policy and regulation, then, so what, what steps has the state of Victoria taken to enforce and monitor compliance? with vegetation management standards for, for power lines, you kind of implicated the last answer that you just expect the utilities to go out and clear, right? And there's, or, or is there a level of oversight there as well? Yeah, oh yeah. So our regulator, Energy Safe Victoria, has a significant role to play in terms of oversight and compliance. I think for us, it's that tension between if they could just go out and clear, it'd be great. However, we do have a lot of regulation and secondary regulation that prohibits that. In response to Black Saturday, though, 
there were several pieces of regulations and, and legislation which were amended or introduced. So I think I mentioned maybe last episode the the clearance regulations were addressed to make sure that they were wider and that was quite science-based, how wide should they be and how do they need to be amended. We also made significant amendments to the Electricity Safety Act, so introduced a penalty scheme around installing refcools and making sure that a minimum level of safety compliance was met at zone substations. We also introduced we being Energy Safe Victoria regulations around um, bushfire mitigation plans and um, duties around ensuring that those plans clear in, in what is expected of uh, major electricity companies when it comes to delivering safety benefits. But yeah, so I, I, I think for us it was it was an overhaul of how the legislation and, and regulation environment, regulatory environment needs to function to, again, find that balance of safety benefit at lowest possible cost. How does the government assess and, I guess, prioritize areas that require immediate attention, let's say, in regards to vegetation management to prevent fires? Are there any specific criteria or factors considered in that process? Yeah, so one of the things that the task force identified early on was that we needed a comprehensive risk model to actually tell us where the areas of highest consequence would be. And we did that so that we could effectively drive our investment. We wanted to make sure that we would have the biggest impact. If we put a ref call in a particular area, was it going to deliver that safety and reliability that we needed? So we developed a risk model, which identified high bushfire risk areas, low bushfire risk areas, We also had electric line construction areas. And so those are the areas of absolute highest risk. And then we use that model to then say, if a fire started from a power line in this area, the consequence in terms of homes lost, lives lost would be the highest. And therefore, we need to make sure that in these areas, the regulations reflect instead of a three-year maintenance schedule, we want an annual maintenance schedule Uh, We want the clearance to be this wide and it needs to be checked this often. We want to install ref calls. You need to do all these works. And so it really was about providing that map to the electricity companies about when you're thinking about your investment into safety, this is where we want you to focus. And here's where we think the consequence is the highest. And we see that because we've got a model. And again, reflecting that sector maturity, that model has been adopted by major electricity companies and they now use that to tell us where they're seeing risk changes. So where risk has reduced significantly, like I said early on, Melbourne, Victoria is one of the fastest growing states. And so one of the challenges we've seen is that where our model five, six years ago identified, oh, this is the area of very high risk. Well, now that's an industrial estate. So that risk is gone from a bushfire perspective. And so we're finding that uh, major electricity companies are, are coming to us and saying, do we have to do all these safety works now? There's a factory there. We're like, no, absolutely not, guys. That's totally fine. So, yeah, it's definitely using our risk models and, and using inputs in terms of yeah the consequence to and from vegetation has underpinned a lot of our investment throughout our program. Excellent. Yeah, are there any technological advancements or innovations that the government has deployed or you know plans to use in UVM to enhance efficiency and effectiveness? Yeah, so one of our cornerstone programs has been our research and development fund. So we've run two rounds of funding to identify emerging and new technologies that could be used by 
major electricity companies to reduce risk. So the first round ran from 2014 to 2019, and then we ran a second in 2020 to 22. And, you know, it was interesting to then also see the development in terms of that tech. So in the first round, we had collected all this data as part of the task force, which we handed over to universities to say, we've identified that these types of vegetation are risky. Can you develop an algorithm that could be used by major electricity companies so that they can just input that and and see, do we have this type of vegetation and what is the risk that it's going to give? And so that was really interesting and we got some interesting tools out of that. And then in our second round, we saw an interesting project called Towards a Boreal Risk Management System, or we call it Two Arms. And that really used LIDAR, which is a very standard industry practice, but looked at also ground images as well to get a real detailed snapshot of trees and how those trees change over time. And so to use that to then identify, oh, this is going to be hazardous, maybe not next year, but maybe in a couple of years time and we could either leave it or we can address it now while it's going to be cheaper to do so. So yeah, that was an interesting one. That was a real collaboration between PowerCore, one of our major electricity companies, and the CSIRO, the guys that gave the world Wi-Fi. So our chief peak science body. Thanks, by the way. We appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. It's a gift that Australians have given Wi-Fi. It's used LIDAR. It uses to construct these really detailed images. And yeah, and, and, and it leads to more detailed analysis, more detailed bushfire mitigation plans, more maintenance plans. So we're also seeing things like electronic fault devices or EFDs, which are being rolled out on, on SWIR power lines to identify faults. And that was funded through one of our research and development grants. So yeah, so definitely seeing little, like more, like smaller devices that are actually giving us a lot of data, which are telling us things about weather patterns and faults and how long those faults are lasting. So yeah, definitely seeing a lot of new tech coming out, which is really great. You know if this information is also available online? I mean, I'm familiar with uh, CISRO is how I used to pronounce it. But uh, are they putting these models or access to these models online? For us, for our risk model, we haven't published that and we probably won't, definitely won't, just because of its nature. Like it really... Uh, power lines cause fires one of the biggest problems that we have in victoria in terms of ignitions is arson and so for us to release a model which says if you started a fire in this area the consequence would be really significant is just a danger to the community that we just don't want to take so for us our risk model isn't public we do have online a map which identifies where some of our more higher areas risk areas are but i think Our EFD project and a lot of our research and development projects, which the EFD is part of, that's all online. And so information about those, the outcomes of those and what they're trying to achieve. The two arms, I think on our website is quite a detailed report around how that works in the future of that program and what they're aiming to achieve. So yeah, like the actual technology side of it, we've made that available online. Good stuff. And I was going to add that my uh, French colleague here Wi-Fi. refers to Wi-Fi as Wi-Fi. Um, I think you lost your North American audience on that one. Yeah, maybe. 
Yeah, we had a, a listener one time, uh, Madeline, comment that the UVM podcast, the content's you know brilliant, but the the jokes can be awful. So I just feel like we have to throw a few bad jokes in as well. I mean, what's a podcast with a few bad jokes? Like you know, successful, exactly. <laughs> Uh, back to you nick Uh, get us out of this again (laughs) yeah okay so i did want to follow up actually on the powerline bushfire safety program just like how how successful has it been you know are there any sort of numbers or data or you know evidence you can point to that quantifies the level of risk reduction that has occurred yes absolutely And, and like i said right at the outset one of our goals was to move away from anecdotal, like we kind of know this and we know it from two, like here are the facts. So yeah, we've protected over 61,000 kilometres, which I think is about 38,000 miles of power lines in Victoria. So that they're now protected either by RefCal or ACR. Um, and on those lines, that risk is then reduced by about 70%. The overall risk reduction across the state relative, however, is closer to 50%. So we've effectively halved the risk of ignition starting in Victoria through the Powerline Bushfire Safety Program. On about 730 kilometres or about 450 miles, um, yes, I Googled this because I understand the North American audience doesn't always do kilometres. We've reduced that risk to zero. So we've undergrounded or insulated power lines in some of those really high risk areas where we just thought, yes, we could do a ref call here. However, if we invest $200 million, we can um, completely neutralise that risk. So we've installed over 340 backup generators to protect about 16,000 people. Like I just said, $10 million, I think just over in research and development. Yeah. So we've we've really just done a, a huge amount of work over the last 10 years and it's made us a global leader. You know, um, when we talk to people like Dan in in Canada and he goes, oh, yeah, you guys are the worst case scenario. It's like, yeah, we just don't want anyone else to go through what we went through. And so that's why we've been quite open about sharing what we've done and and some of the challenges around that. So when we looked at ref calls, they had never been used as a bushfire mitigation tool before. They'd only ever been used as reliability. And so for us, and you'll love this, we went out on a limb and uh-huh. invested, <laughs> did a lot of research and did a lot of studies to make sure that they would work so that we could confidently say to the Victorian community, this tool will work and it will reduce your risk. And we've seen that now, we've seen the risk reduction halved. And so, you know, that's for me, from an emergency management perspective, I think that's a really great success. It's a huge outcome. Excellent. And you have accomplished a lot. It kind of Leads me to the next question. Looking ahead, uh, what are your future goals and objectives regarding utility vegetation management, also reducing the overall risk of uh, power line related fires? Are you have any upcoming projects or initiatives you'd like to highlight? Yeah, I, I think for us, you know, the big tech rollout part of our program is, is over. We, um, you know, the RefCal rollout will be is effectively done. Um, our last one will be installed by November or compliant by November. Um, so for us, it's coming back to the legislative regulatory environment. And again, that kind of toolbox idea of how do we create an environment for our major electricity companies to continue to effectively reduce the risk? Because although we've halved it, the glass half empty person in me says, well, there's still 
50% of risk out there. So how do we continue to address that in a cost-effective way? So for us, yeah, it comes back down to legislation, regulation, and some of those more subtle levers and mechanisms that we can use to reduce the risk. And part of that is looking at our move towards a more sustainable, renewable future. Victoria is really leading the way in our, you know, our, our green energy. Our generation is about 36%. So I think for us, it's looking at community batteries. It's looking at standalone power supplies. It's looking at um, microgrids as, as probably the next step in terms of reducing our, our risk um, profile in Victoria, as well as, you know, aligning with our goals of being a more sustainable state. So Madeline, you mentioned earlier that the economic cost of undergrounding or insulating all conductors was too expensive. Uh, does this viewpoint change when an asset comes to the end of its useful life in the future? Like Steve mentioned earlier in California, you know, there's a tendency to, to put things underground with uh, new subdivisions, new, new developments, things like that. It does over time. It, it leads there is it leads to a de-risk system that kind of undergrounding insulating approach. However, in Victoria, what we've found consistently and what we've tested is has that cost to benefit ratio changed from when we first when the task force first looked at this? That sixty billion cost has that changed? And what we found is that actually no, it's, it's got more expensive if anything. And so for us, it's about how do we again keep that consumer cost low. However, this changes for us in those really those electric line construction areas, those areas of very high risk. And for us, that's why we've really just continued to focus on those to say in those areas, undergrading, insulating, that has to be the only option because that's the only way that we can ensure a risk benefit and that benefit outweighs the cost. But it also means for us looking at the broader distribution networks, we're seeing interesting projects both in Victoria and in states like Western Australia where they're looking at SAPs as a possible or standalone power supplies as a possible risk solution. So if we just remove the power line altogether, we don't have to underground it, but we can do a maintenance schedule around everyone having their own standalone power supply or if we do a microgrid, then, yeah, that's when we start to see that cost-benefit ratio evens out a bit more and it starts to deliver those benefits of risk reduction and at a lowish, lower cost. The Royal Commission really pointed to removing or reducing the number of power lines in the landscape and we've tried to be sensitive to that, but we've also been constrained by the cost and not just the cost, but our actual ability to underground lines. Like if we were all on like a nice grass flat plain, it would be very easy to underground, but Victoria has very mountainous areas that just make undergrounding an absolute nightmare. So, you know, it's, it's again, it really is about finding that balance of cost to the consumer, but also risk reduction and keeping them safe. A major challenge. This balancing, I think we've kind of talked about it, but that's the major dilemma. And I think the risk here for all of us is it really only takes one tree to cause a massive conflagration. And reducing that to zero is, well, almost physically impossible, I would think. But we have to do what we can to bring that down as far as possible while also considering there is not unlimited funding. And I think, Steve, for us, that's what we're starting to see. And it is. It is it's one tree. It's one windy day. It's one just bad. All it takes is two or three little conditions and you've got a disaster. 
And when I reflect on how far our program has come and I think about Black Summer in 2019, no power lines started a major fire that whole summer. Wow. We were waiting. Like we were like, this is it. These are the conditions that are exactly like Black Saturday. If a fire is going to start from a power line, this is it. And it didn't happen. Yeah, we had smaller fires, but nothing like we saw back in 2009. And I think that's real, really testament to what the Powerline Bushfire Safety Program has achieved. You should be proud, Madeline. I will just pass along one UVM-specific uh, piece of advice as a arborist myself, a utility arborist. One area that I think as an industry we need to start paying a lot of attention to is this whole concept of planting the right tree in the right place. A great many of the trees involved with fires that I've been a witness or expert on were planted after power lines were there. And when there are thousands of choices to pick trees that won't either grow up into or ultimately fall into power lines, I think as a society, and that includes the utilities and the regulators and the public, we need to start paying more attention to it because it's easier to prevent these issues than deal with them down the road. Absolutely. Button Winklewart? I guess uh, Button Winklewart <laughs> is now my, my new pseudonym for podcasting. <laughs> you could just call me Winkles for short. That'd be fine. Sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah, I'll close, Madam. I just say, you know, thank you very, very much for taking all the time to join the podcast today, particularly, you know, with a, with a 5 a.m. start. So, uh, Certainly appreciate it. And what an awesome guest you've been to sort of follow on from uh, uh, Dan Gent on, on the last episode and, and to provide your, uh, your insight here. It's such a, an important topic. And I know that our listenership, if that is, is indeed a word, will be lapping this up and we'll really get some good value from it. So yeah, thank you again, Madeline. Great. I'll add my thanks, Madeline. Uh, I learned so much uh, during these two episodes about what's going on down under and greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Anything to talk about the Powerline Bushfire Safety Program. So thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Well, in that case, I will end this episode with a final message for our listeners. So, you know, we're always looking for feedback and we're always looking for input. It could be guests, it could be topics, you know, any ideas at all. So, you know, we still have an idea generated by a listener that was to interview people that were sort of involved in the tooling and the field hardware side of things and we, we are still planning to make those episodes happen so yeah any ideas that you have at all just send us an email to podcast.utilityvegetationmanagement.com and we'll make it happen but from uh, steve winkles and, uh, and madeline that's uh, it for today's episode see you on the next one